0: Hello, and welcome back to Grateful Gwenna. Thank you for joining us again today. It's so good to have you back. I've noticed that uh, my audience is starting to grow and more episodes are starting to be played. And I'm very grateful to God for that. I pray, hope and pray it blesses you and or it blesses someone you know and or love. Because as I'm finding out, domestic violence is a lot more prominent than I once thought it was. Sadly and unfortunately. As always, if you or a loved one or someone you know is unsafe or feeling unsafe, please escape and get to safety and call the National Center for Domestic Violence hotline at 1-800-799-SAFE. If you request it, they will keep your conversation confidential and be sure, make sure when you're calling to be in a safe place where your abuser cannot overhear you or track your phone call. It's sad I should even have to say that, but it's the truth. So today's broadcast that I feel God is leading me to share is God is leading me to share is what I'm probably going to call. Escape or the escape. Not like escapology, the escape breakout rooms. Those are so much fun. Um, it's kind of becoming an annual tradition for um, my son and I to do those for his birthday celebration annually, which is kind of fun and kind of cool for sure. But I'm actually talking about something that's not fun at all, and that is escaping. An abusive partner. In my case, it was my abusive ex-husband. And today on this podcast episode, I'm going episode. I'm going to share. Um, God has led me to share how I escaped my abusive ex-husband. And please understand that this might be different from for everyone. And before I begin, I want to um, advise you to please be safe and be careful, and wise, and cautious about planning your escape. Unfortunately, statistically speaking, and I I should have looked this up before I started recording, but I didn't. Um, But in the past, I have looked it up, and I don't remember the exact percentages right now. But statistically speaking, it's a very high percentage, unfortunately, of women who try to escape their abusive partners, and end up dead. And I'm not trying to scare you. I'm not exaggerating. Um, I'm just, unfortunately, speaking the truth. And what a lot of people who don't experience, thank God, or have never experienced, thank God, domestic abuse or domestic violence or being abused, don't understand is that well, how dangerous it really is when you're trying to leave someone who is abusive because the majority of the time they can be and are very controlling and manipulative. And that plays into it. It plays a factor. And again, you know, I'm sharing from my experiences, my story, my testimony, what God has done for me, how I went about things and this may or may not work for you. You know your situation. And so please don't hear my escape story and think, okay, this is how I have to do things because that is not what I'm saying at all. Um, every situation is different. Every domestic violence situation is different. Um, some of the, some there are many similarities. Some of the things are the same, but you know, there's just enough in each situation. Um, my case was unfortunately a textbook domestic violence case, and I was in denial about it for many years and was brainwashed um, both by my ex-husband and by the training growing up in childhood of being a scapegoat on both sides of my family, as well as by um, some of our old church teachings that you know, wives must submit to our husbands. And the thing is, God doesn't intend for us to submit to abusive husbands. Those scriptures also tell the husband to submit to the wife in Ephesians 5.21 and not just the other way around. It's supposed to go both ways. And a lot of times abusive men, and I speak about men because I'm a woman, but a lot of times abusive men will, um, especially quote unquote religious ones, will use religion and use scripture to abuse the woman and tell her it's her job to submit to whatever they say and do to her, which is not biblical at all. That's not what God wants us to do at all. In fact, quite the opposite is true. Part of our job is a helpmeet in a healthy marriage, not in an abusive one, because that's going to be turned around on us and used against us um but part of our job as a helpmeet in a healthy marriage biblically speaking is to help our husbands become better people and to help ourselves become better people and marriage is supposed to be a sanctifying process and an aid to help us this is my opinion an aid to help us grow more like Christ because we can't be selfish anymore because we've got someone else we've got to take care about and think about and take care of so How did I escape my abusive husband? Um, This podcast episode is not going to be about why did I escape, what happened to me, why did I need to escape, just about the process of escaping. And before I start, just real quickly, before I start with my story, my particular story of how I escaped, um, I'd like to share with you that People who aren't in abusive situations don't understand, like I said earlier, but it's not about you leaving an abusive situation. Yeah. Did that kind of shock you and surprise you I said that? I don't think it's about you leaving an abusive situation because it's not an easy thing to leave because when you are in an abusive relationship or you're in an abusive marriage, it's like a prison. It's like a war zone in your own home in a prison because you you can't just leave. You have to escape. And just like a prisoner of war, sometimes you need to have a plan of escape. And especially when you're living with an abusive and controlling and manipulative man, you kind of have to outsmart him. And there's a scripture that says that we should be wise as a serpent and gentle as a dove Um, and I really feel like um, that that definitely applies um, that definitely applies uh, in, in an abusive situation and trying to escape from the prison that is your home. Because if you're living in a home where you don't feel free to be yourself, beloved, you are imprisoned. Um, the verse, I looked it up, it's Matthew ten sixteen. 16. Um, the verse in New Inter- International Version says, I am sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore, be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. And I know that in using this and applying it here, I am taking this verse a little bit out of context, but I personally believe that in this case, it's okay. Um, Why do I believe that? First of all, I'm not causing harm to you or anyone else. Secondly, I'm not using it for my own benefit. And thirdly, um, God, if God, I personally believe if God can and he does and he has, but I personally believe that if God can use, if God can speak through a stone or through a donkey, why can't he speak through a verse taken out of context? You know, now I'm not saying, you know, somebody said to me once, well, you can't take scripture out of context because then you could say, the Bible says, Jesus Judas Iscariot hung himself. So I'm going to ha- go hang myself. No, that, that, no, that's just, I'm sorry. That's dumb to be blunt. <laughs> like, why would you think that? That's intending to harm yourself or someone else. Of course, I'm not going to condone or agree with taking that verse in that way out of context. Um, and, you know, you can check doing this also because if it lines up with and doesn't disagree with other parts of Scripture, then you know you're good. But I personally believe this Scripture, the second half of this verse, Matthew 10, 16, especially can apply in abusive situations because most abusive people, men especially, um, they're very controlling and domineering. And um, even if they're sly about it or sneaky about it or covert about it, um, they can be very manipulative. And you really have to be cautious and be wise about it. And um, one of the things that you'll learn if you start learning about domestic violence, one of the first things you'll learn is to always have a backpack prepared or a bag prepared and ready to go in case you have to leave quickly in an emergency. And um, this actually happened to me once, but this is about escape. So how did I escape my abusive ex-husband? Well, first of all, I stayed way too long, but how I did it was, um, and, and understand I was so messed up in the head that I actually went back to him after he strangled me five months after he strangled me, I went back to him. There's a lot more to the story than that, but how did I finally escape from him? Um, the motivation was that he shoved me and spit in my face, spat in my face. He shoved me and spat in my face in front of our two children who happened to be toddlers. No, they weren't toddlers. I take that back. But he he shoved me and spat in my face in front of our two children while they were sitting on the couch. And that was when in my mind, something snapped inside me. And I thought, oh no, our children are not going to learn that this behavior is okay. I didn't want them learning that it's okay for someone to spit in your face and shove you. And I didn't want them learning that it was okay to spit in someone else's face and shove them. And that was kind of my breaking point. Amazingly, it wasn't when I was strangled or any of the other things that happened to me at his hand, um, any of the other things I suffered at his hand, it wasn't him shoving me down the stairs or pulling me around The kitchen by my ponytail or punching holes in the wall or throwing a phone at me um, or slapping me in the face or, and there's a lot more I could say. Those are just the prime examples. It wasn't any of that. It wasn't anything that he did to me. It was when my children witnessed and I could see that they witnessed what he was doing to me. And my first thought was, I don't want my children seeing that. And something snapped in my head And I didn't say a word out loud about it, but something snapped in my head that I did not want my children learning that that kind of behavior was okay. It is not okay to treat someone that way. I don't care who they are. I don't care if they said or did something you don't like. That is not okay. Mm -mm, uh Uh-uh. So in my head, like I said, something snapped and I immediately started secretly planning my escape in my mind. And um, I'm pretty sure, I believe it's been a long time now. I've been divorced almost 12 years, like I said. But I'm pretty sure um, I already had an escape bag packed. And so that is probably the first thing I would recommend is and, and make sure it's well hidden in a place where your abuser is not going to find it. And, and, you know, obviously, ideally, it's best if you can leave immediately and escape immediately and get yourself and your children out of danger. Um, but statistically speaking, most women take leave at least six times on an average before they finally leave their abuser for good permanently. And this held true for me too. And, um, I had also called the police to our home off and on multiple times over 10 year period, a 10 year span. Um, ironically, I was able to keep all of his abuse of me a secret from everyone. And we even had a marriage ministry, which I kept trying to tell the elders we should not have, and they would not listen to me. Later, I found out it was because my ex-husband had been telling everyone that I was allegedly exaggerating the abuse. But once I started sharing, um, but I was actually minimizing the abuse. So the very first thing, and, and you can go to the National Center for Domestic Violence website or you can call them and they can help you with how to prepare um, your your bag, your backpack or whatever it is. But um, I would say I think they recommend recommend at least one night's, uh, you know, like an overnight bag, like at least one night's packing of clothes and pajamas and, and things like that that you would need. I personally would say two nights at least. Because that gives you a little tiny bit more time to get situated um, and figure out a plan, a more permanent plan or a more lasting plan. But if you need to get out in a hurry, um, pack a bag of belongings slash necessities that you would need for a night or two. And if you have children, make sure you have stuff in there for your kids too. Um, a change of clothes, a pair of pajamas. And if it's for two nights, two changes of clothes, um, your underwear, bra, whatever, um, deodorant, uh, have an extra, think of deodorant, um, an extra toothbrush for you, an extra toothbrush for each of your children, um, toothpaste, you know, some of the toiletries and necessities, a hairbrush maybe, or a comb, whatever you use, um, you know, and, and maybe some hair gel. And of course, make sure that you, pack in such a way that nothing's going to spill or leak all over your bag. Um, And some of the things you might not think of are necessary paperwork. Um, You can look at the National Center for Domestic Violence website for better recommendations on what to pack than what I'm talking about here, and I highly recommend you do that. Um, And get to a safe place, again, that can't be tracked on your phone or your computer or wherever you're looking at it, or go to the library. Um, You can use library computers for free if you're a resident um, in that town, I believe. And then, you know, it's harder to track you unless you're using your own email and things like that. I mean, I don't understand all that about how to track people on the internet, but just be very cautious and very careful and very wise, wise as a serpent gentle as a dove right um, and some you, you need paperwork copies of, I, think, I think they say copies of paper like maybe copies of your whatever you need you know um, so like I don't know maybe copies of your driver's license social security but you gotta be careful about that because you don't want someone finding it and committing fraud against you which I've also had happen to me in the past by someone else Um, so here is how I escaped. Like I said, that night when he shoved me and spit in front of my, spit in my face in front of my two children who were sitting behind us on the couch in the living room, observing the whole incident, unfortunately, um, I snapped something in my mind snapped and I immediately mentally started planning my escape because, I didn't want my children to learn that that behavior was okay, like I said. So what did I do? Well, while he was at work, I had a locksmith come and change the locks on the house where we were living because I knew that... And in, in his name was on the mortgage. <laughs> um, but because I knew that... Um, He would be very angry. Um, This wasn't the first time that I had separated from him. Um, And it was actually the third time and in 13 years of marriage. And um, the first time had been for two days. I had gone to a hotel with our two children and stayed there for two days because I felt unsafe because I was unsafe. Um, and I had called a friend of ours who was a pastor and he had paid for the hotel. And two days later, which was way too soon, I found out afterwards, which was too late to fix. Um, my ex-husband had been extremely angry and he paid the pastor back for his, um, for the hotel cost. The second time I had separated from him was, like I said earlier, five months after he strangled me. I'm not kidding. And he spent a night in jail. And he actually denies that to this day. But there are police records in the county jail that are public knowledge. If anyone wants to go get a copy, feel free. Be my guest. Fine with me. Um, So he can deny it all the, all he wants, but it happened. And he doesn't remember, which I'm not surprised. I'm not shocked because I'm pretty sure he was demon possessed that night, you know, and, um, I always used to think he wasn't, but in hindsight, the look in his eyes was not human. Um, so I had separated from him after that for five months And like I said, he had spent a night in jail, but I did not press charges. I was weak back then. If I had it to do over again, I would have definitely pressed charges. Um, And and interesting side note here, he wasn't, um, at that time, he wasn't asking me if I was okay or remorseful or repentant or anything Later, he did get that way. But at that time, he was totally in 100% in denial. And um, he didn't ask me if I was okay or say, oh, my gosh, I what did I just do to my wife, you know, who I'm supposed to love and care for? Instead, he decides to tell me when he calls me from the jail cell, which, by the way, was illegal because the state of Indiana had put a restraining no contact order on him against me. I didn't even initiate it. The state of Indiana did um, because he had strangled me. It just was an automatic thing. But he broke that no contact order like most people do, most men do. And he called me the next morning from jail and told me, asked me if I was going to press charges. I was like, you're not even supposed to be calling me. I didn't know it was him when I picked up the phone. And then um, he told me that if I press charges, he had thought about it and he was going to claim voluntary manslaughter if I had died. Okay. So I'm sure he was scared because he was in jail and I understand that, but There just was no remorse there at all for how he had treated me and what he had done to me. But you know, by that statement right there, he said, if you had died, I thought about it and I would claim voluntary manslaughter. I couldn't have died if he hadn't strangled me. So how is he in denial? (laughs) It's just, I mean, I'm laughing because it's so ridiculous and ludicrous looking back, you know, and I've had enough time to heal. So... It's not a funny laughing matter at all, but it's just, it's crazy. It's ridiculous. Like he denies it, but the fact that he said, you know, there's proof in the police report, you know, and um, that night the police happened to forget their cameras. So there were no photographs. So he tries to claim that the police lied. Why would the police lie about that? There's no reason so obviously the police aren't lying. I'm not lying. He was the one in the denial and still is, by the way. He's still from a, well, I don't know about today, but a few years ago, he still was in denial that it ever even actually happened and accused me of making it up. Why would I want to make something like that up? That's traumatic. That's terrible. That's just, I'm sorry, but crazy, man. <laughs> like, why would I want to make something like that up? no, just no. Like I told you earlier, I'm honest to a fault. If anything, I always minimized his abuse of me. I was constantly covering it up, especially for the first 10 years of our marriage. So he's in jail because he strangled me and he calls me and says, you know, are you going to press charges? If you had died, I would, you know, Claim voluntary manslaughter. So, who cares about me? He's just worried about getting his butt out of jail, right? <laughs> so, I wasn't strong about enough back then. Like I said, if I had it to do over, I would definitely press charges. But I was also worried because he had threatened me on multiple occasions and numerous times that if you ever report me, which I had already done because I had called 911 because I was being strangled and I wasn't safe and being pulled around by my ponytail in the kitchen. But he had threatened me on multiple occasions that if I ever reported him, he's originally from Mexico, that if I ever reported him, he would take our children, and he would say, I'll take your children, but he would take our children and go to Mexico and disappear, and I would never be able to find him or my children again. And that was terrifying. That was a terrifying thought. My children were and are my world after Jesus, you know. And um, the one blessing I had in that marriage was that I was able to stay home and homeschool the kids, my sons, for 10 years. And um, we were very close. And obviously, I didn't want to lose my children. Or God knows what he was capable of doing to my children in my absence, if he's capable of taking them to another country and getting lost so I would never find them again. And if he's capable of strangling me, what could he do to my children, you know? So part of the reason I went back to him was the fear of the kids being unsupervised, visiting their dad or him escaping and hiding them from me and um, getting lost in Mexico, like he said, and hiding them from me. And there's a lot going through my mind right now. Um, as a matter of fact, when I finally did separate from him the third and final time during our marriage, the courts, I I appealed to the courts to demand that he have supervised visits with the children and the courts denied me. To this day, I still don't understand that. Like, why would you allow children to go unsupervised on unsupervised visits with the person who tried to murder their mother, literally. And I'm not exaggerating. I'm saying this because it's a fact. It's the truth. Like, it made no sense to me whatsoever. But unfortunately, later I found out that, you know, although everybody claims judges often are partial to the, to the woman, to the wife, to the mother, they're not always. These judges were partial to the father. And there was apparently this huge movement that had started towards father's rights. Okay, that's great for good fathers. But a father who abuses the children's mother, that's not a good father. I'm sorry, it's not. And I used to say, oh, he's hes not a good husband, He's a good, but he's a good father. No, he wasn't. If he were a good father, he would have treated their mother well. And he didn't. You know, and I, I had my issues too. It wasn't all his fault. I mean... I would get very angry and yell and scream and cuss at him years ago, obviously, but in anger at how he was treating me like i didn't I never started it he was not that but I wasn't gonna stand there and take it, you know um I'm not saying it was right, but I'm saying I had my issues too, so that was a second separation, and then he actually at A point after that separation, he came back. Well, he came knocking on my door one day, again, breaking the no contact order, um, because I had gotten him to go to um, this place called the Center for Nonviolence. And in the beginning, he was like, I don't understand why I'm here. These guys, they actually punch and slap and hit their wives, totally denying that he had slapped me in the cheek once. But I didn't even mention it because I knew he was in denial. At that point, I didn't bring it up. And um, then, like, probably a couple of months later, he's banging on my front door. And he, I'm talking about the second separation right now. Sorry if I got confusing with the chronological order there. The whole changing the locks thing, I'll get back to in a minute. That was the third and final separation. But the second separation, he comes back to the door a couple of months later. After saying, I'm nothing like these men, they, they hit, they hit and punch and slap their wives. And he's again, for the second time, breaking the no contact order, which is illegal. And he knocks on the door. I don't know why I opened it. I shouldn't have opened it. Um, but he kind of had that controlling hold over me and over my mind back then. And I opened the door and he is sobbing. I mean, just sobbing he's standing there sobbing and telling me, "Oh my gosh, I'm just like these guys in these videos they show us at the Center for Nonviolence. I'm so sorry. Will you please forgive me blah 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 blah." And I could tell that well, this looked like true genuine repentance and remorse. However, he was an expert at that in the cycle of non uh, the cycle of violence, the power wheel if you look at it on the website Um, the National Center for Domestic Violence website, there's a power wheel about domestic abuse. And in the cycle is very, typically you have your tension building. Well, you have your honeymoon phase where everything's great. Then you have a tension building phase where things are starting to get nervous. And then you have basically your incident phase. I forget the name of it, but that's what I'll call it, where the abusive person actually abuses you. And then they apologize and it's remorseful and it's the honeymoon phase and they just, you keep going around in a circle and they keep doing it over and over and over. And this was textbook. We were a textbook domestic violence case in that sense. And so he's standing there sobbing at the door and he seemed repentant and remorseful. And I just, I think I looked at him and said, I forgive you and closed the door (laughs) because I was still terrified of him. Who wouldn't be? I mean, the man tried to kill me He kept telling people I was exaggerating, I guess, but I actually minimized the abuse. I covered up for him a lot. I didn't say anywhere near what he actually did to me. I mean, I had photographs of myself where, like, I had bruises. There's a photograph that I still have of um, bruises on my foot and on my leg. And he used to say, well, you bruise easily. No, I don't, actually. Not at all. Um, so that was the second, um, separation. And, um, like I said, I was messed up at the head in the head and I was still brainwashed and still kind of in denial and went back to him five months later because he seemed repentant and remorseful. And I remember that first night he came back. I don't know why I didn't make him sleep on the couch, but he thought he had a right to our bed because we were married <laughs> and, um. I would have never let him back in if I'd done it again. I would have pressed charges. I, I would have done so many things differently now in hindsight. But you got to understand, you know, when, you're, when you've are when you been abused for that long, um, you believe what people are telling you. And when the church is telling you, well, submit to your husband and he won't abuse you, submit to your husband, well, if he's mistreating you, it must be because you're doing something wrong. It's always blaming the victim. Guess what? It's not always the victim's fault. You know, oh, I I had a family member back then say, well, you don't poke the bear. (laughs) Excuse me, but I didn't have to do anything to the bear. The bear used to get growly on his own. He didn't have to have any motivation or provocation whatsoever. He could just suddenly become angry. So that first night after the five-month separation, after he strangled me when he was back, I, I don't know why I took him back People say, why did, I don't know. Um, I was messed up in the head back then is all I can say. And um, I had, I hid the phone under the pillow because I was terrified of him and he got angry at me and he was annoyed that I did that. And that was the very first time I really, really stood up to him and I said, well, if you hadn't done what you did, I wouldn't feel the need to now, would I, which He wasn't happy about. But we did live abuse free for three years. But then it happened again. And that was the time that he shoved me and spit in my face in front of the children sitting on the couch that I mentioned earlier. So the third time, back to the third and final separation, like I said, um, my escape, I planned everything, like I said, while he was at work. I had a locksmith out to change the locks and I packed him an overnight bag. But I put a lot in it. It wasn't just one night. Like I gave him my travel luggage because I was like, hey, if it's going to get me and the kids safe, you know, and, and the kids needed to be safe too. And um, I did my best to prevent him from abusing the children. I shared the shoe story earlier in an earlier podcast with you. But so, um, so when he got home from work, He was livid and I was terrified. I'm not going to lie. But, um, when he got home from work, the locks had been changed. So he couldn't get into his own house, which was under his name, because that was one of his abuse tactics so that I had no claim to the house, even though I paid down all the debt and, you know, his check went for the house so he could claim the house, I guess. And, um, his, his bag was sitting on the front patio in front of the locked door and I had all the windows and doors locked and everything. And then I must've called the sheriff because I remember like details are sketchy for me now, but I remember the sheriff, um, there was a sheriff that came and he had to schedule a time to come out and get his things because he needed more than what was in the bag. And he only had half an hour to get his things. And so he came out at 9 30 PM. I remember nine to nine thirty, or at nine one of the two, but it was after 9 PM and he had literally half an hour to collect whatever he could. And I just let him take whatever he wanted because at this point, you know, um, I just wanted to be safe and I wanted my children to feel safe. And, um, there's a lot more I'm not sharing here, but I'm just kind of giving you the main things. And I remember silly things like we had, um, like, he stole my hair dryer so I couldn't dry my hair anymore. <laughs> and he never even used the hair dryer. I don't think I ever once saw him use, maybe once, but like I was the one who used the hair dryer. And it's kind of ironic because now that I'm saying that, I realized. I don't think I've dried my hair, but a couple of times, a few times since, but it, I don't know if that traumatized me or what, but no, I think it's just that, but it's ironic, but I think it's just that, you know, it's bad for your hair to dry it all the time, especially if you have dry hair, which I do. But anyway, that was just a little side note. I just happened to think, oh, that's interesting. Like he stole my hair dryer, and we had two drills And he took both of them. Like, why wouldn't he leave me one? Like, he took both drills. Like, why do you need two? you know? I mean, if it were me, I would have taken one and left one. It only seems fair, right? But whatever. So I just didn't even care. I just wanted to be safe, you know? I noticed it, but I didn't care. And he was so angry. And I remember um, it was winter and there was snow on the ground. And, um you know our home was a nice home and there was one night where he called and um it was pretty scary he called and i could hear if you if you're living with or have lived with abuse you know you can hear in their voice when they're accelerated when their temper has escalated and they're violent you can hear it in their voice and he called and i immediately knew All my sensors were up. I was on guard. I could tell in his voice, he was yelling and screaming and cussing and called me and wanted, I want my stuff and I'll be over in five minutes. And he was livid. Well, our home was really nice. And so the kids and I, we were walking around in our bare feet inside the home, even though it was winter and there was snow on the ground. And he says, I'll be there in five minutes. You have five minutes. I'll be there in five minutes and I'm getting my stuff. I don't care what I have to do and um so i grab my children and of course i can only carry one kid at a time and i'm sorry this breaks my heart to this day because i know at least one of my children remembers this i could only carry one child and i escape with my children out the back door but one of my children had to walk as i did in our bare feet across the snow And I don't know if you've ever walked across snow in your bare feet, but it is quite painful. And my heart was just breaking because I knew my son's feet were hurting because he was yelling in pain. And I remember saying, I know my feet hurt too, but we're almost there. We're almost there. And it kills me because my child remembers that to this day. Sorry. But ultimately I was protecting him and I have to keep reminding myself of that. And thankfully, I banged on the neighbor's door urgently, and she came to the door, and she knew immediately something was wrong. And God bless her, let let us in immediately. My son's screaming and crying. You know, we're all in a panic situation we just get inside. She closes the door, the door and, and shuts the blinds and she's watching out the small kitchen window and we just get inside and he shows up. It wasn't five minutes. It was a lot faster. And thank God that I had the wherewithal to get us out of there as fast as I did. Cause I don't honestly know what would have happened. And, um, we hid with her while she, watched him out the window and was careful so he couldn't see her and he he never had a clue where we were at least to my knowledge and um they got us blankets to wrap around our feet and just took care of us bless their hearts i'm so thankful for those neighbors they were amazing they were they were christians too and but they were just wonderful am- amazing neighbors and um thankfully we were we were safe and he eventually left um but it was terrifying The whole situation was terrifying, and I just feel so badly because I know my child is still traumatized from that. But I didn't know what was going to happen to me or the kids. And if I had left them there, he would have taken them. I'm positive. I'm sure of it. So that was my escape. Um, And one of the last things that my ex-husband said to me was, I'm going to take these boys away from you if it's the last thing I do. You know, and I made some mistakes, but he has successfully taken one of my children away from me. And I don't think my child even realizes. Um, And it's not all his fault. It's partially my fault because we weren't getting along and there's a lot more to that story, but that's not what this podcast episode is about. But that is how I escaped my abusive ex-husband, and um, the more the house, the mortgage. I told you his name was on the mortgage. I called the mortgage company, and God blessed them. God just worked so many miracles out for me and our children, my children. And I explained to the mortgage company, they were the first people I told exactly what was happening. I had to tell my neighbor a little bit because she was harboring us as fugitives. But the mortgage company representative was the first person I told the whole story. And when I told them, God bless them, they helped us. I said, you know, if it were just me, I mean, I would just go live on the street or find somewhere to go. But My kids are already going through all this trauma from their father and me. We're going to have to get a divorce. They're already going to be going through divorce, which I had been trying to avoid for years. I said, I just want them to not be disrupted from their home also. And so the mortgage company worked it out with me and they were so understanding and they let us live there rent free, mortgage free for a year. And our house eventually went into foreclosure because of it because he refused to make the payments since he was no longer living there, even though his name was on it. And so the house went into foreclosure and, um, I can't remember for sure, but I think they put my name on it too. I'm not sure. I don't remember exactly, but they let us live there for a year because I was harboring minors from an abusive man. And, um, Then I prayed for three years because I knew that God hated divorce. And God showed me Malachi 2.16 where God hates a man being violent to his wife just as much as he hates divorce. And that was my release and I just sobbed. God showed me that three years after our separation. A year into our third and final separation, my ex-husband called me and I'm going to give you a direct quote. He said, and the the no contact order had expired by then but he called me and i'm going to give you a, an exact quote a year after our third and final separation he said are we getting divorced or are we getting back together i need to know because i need sex quote unquote i will never forget that and um first of all I'm sorry, I'm going to say a bad word here, but what the hell are you thinking? Why would you think I would get back together with you? You already had three chances. I even went back to you after you strangled me and you've done all this stuff to me and you think we might get back together? Are you crazy? Obviously, the answer is yes. And secondly, you're calling me saying I need to know if I'm getting divorced or getting back together with you because I need sex. (laughs) The unbelievable, unbelievable. (laughs) And there were so many things that he did over the years that I've shared some of it in other podcasts. But like, I remember one time I went to some friends of ours, a married couple from our church, and he happened to be the deacon in the church, really great couple, beautiful couple, lovely couple, amazing people. They were just too nice and too naive. And the husband convinced me to go meet my ex-husband to sign a piece of paper because he needed fifteen hundred dollars to put new flooring in a mobile home he had built so he had some or he had bought so he had somewhere to live. And when I got to the bank because I was it was illegal for him to take money out of his 401k without me because we were still legally married. So when I agreed he he I didn't want to go. I wanted to tell him no, but the deacon and friend of ours encouraged me to go. He's like, well, just go do what he wants, go sign what he wants, and then he'll leave you alone. Wrong. (laughs) I can tell you, never sign what they want because they'll just keep coming back for more. But he told me he needed $1,500, and when I got to the bank, I was getting ready to sign the paperwork, and I I read everything. Don't ever sign anything without reading it first. I don't care what they tell you. And I looked at the paperwork and I read the paperwork and it wasn't for $1,500. It was for $4,500, which is a huge chunk. And I said, you told me on the phone it was 1500 What's this? Oh, I don't know. And I confronted him right in front of the notary. And she looked at me like, oh God, are we going to have a problem here? And to spare her dealing with him, I went ahead and signed it. But I wanted him to know that I knew what he was up to. That was actually the third time he said one amount for a loan and got another one. And um, what I found out later from a friend who happened to be the financial advisor at our church, which I went to completely naively and innocently asking for help budgeting to help me pay down my bills, was he was draining the 401k account so I couldn't get any of the money because he felt that it didn't belong to me because it was his money from his work, but it was... As the financial advisor explained to me, it was half of it, 50% of that 401k was legally mine because we were married and I was homeschooling housewife. So my job counted just as much as his job. So ladies, if you're a stay at home mom and your husband is working outside the home and he has a 401k and you're still legally married, half that 401k is legally yours, according to what he told me. So you might want to look into that. So there you go. There is my escape story. And after three years, I finally filed for divorce. And he went around telling me and everyone else that I was the sinner. I found out this out later, that I was the sinner because I was the one who filed for divorce. Didn't mention anything about his abuse to me. And when apparently if anyone would ask him about it, he told people I was exaggerating the abuse First of all, why is any abuse okay? And secondly, I actually minimized the abuse. Um, but yeah, God blessed me and, and I was saved and I was able to escape my Egyptian oppression and bondage. And my Christian doctor told me later that your home was a war zone. And my thoughts of, as a mom, of course, went to my children. I took them to a Christian counselor. He examined each of them individually. And told me they're fine. Especially considering the circumstances. So I believed him. Unfortunately I am learning now that they're adults. That they weren't fine. So. Um, that is how I escaped. From my abusive ex-husband. And it took me. As you can see several times. Um, three official times. Um, and by the way. Ironically. Um, I told you that he had gone to the center for nonviolence, um, during that second separation, or maybe it was the first one. Um, but I tried to get him to go back and he was already in denial and told me that he wasn't going back because he had consulted with a lawyer and the lawyer told him that if he went back, it would be admitting his guilt. Um, you are guilty. You were guilty, but he was so in denial. And, To my knowledge, to this day, he's in denial, blames me for divorcing him, blames me for all of his choices of actions. And those were his choices of actions. But this is how I escaped. And he was very angry at first. After um, I kicked him out, finally got the the courage to kick him out. And I was terrified. Believe me, don't get me wrong. I was so terrified. Um, But I discovered... He, he refused to come see the children, which I kept trying to get him to see his children because one of my children kept saying, mommy, where's daddy? Mommy's where's daddy? And I kept saying, well, he loves you. You know, he'll be back. And I didn't tell the children anything that happened, but he refused to see the children on purpose to try to hurt me. And I didn't want him to see them unsupervised, but I mean, it was hard on the kids to suddenly their daddy suddenly be gone and not know where he was or why he was suddenly gone. So I was trying to help the kids in that sense. Everything I did was to try to help my children. And even trying to save myself from being dead was because I didn't want my children to have a dead mother. I'm being very blunt and honest here. I mean, that thought literally went through my head once I came out of denial. I can't let them have a dead mother. They need their mother. And um, so after the third and final separation, he... um, Their father, my ex-husband, he just refused to come see them for a month. And it really hurt my kids' feelings. I don't think they remember it now. um, But it was hard. It was a month of them crying to me, where's daddy? Especially one of them, my older son. It hit him a lot harder, I think. I don't think the younger son really understood what was going on. There was just enough of an age difference. And uh, I found out where he was staying He was staying at this motel in a small town near us. And so I wanted to call there, you know, and he claimed, he kept claiming I was trying to keep the kids, keep the kids from him. The exact opposite was true. Everything he said was such lies. I found out later that that he had tried to claim that I kept the kids from him. And he was constantly accusing me of trying to keep the kids from him on holidays. Obviously I wanted them safe and it was really hard to let them go with him on the holidays. Um, But God reminded me that he loved my children and that, you know, he would take good care of them. He would, that God would take care of them and that I needed to trust God with my children. Um, That was actually said to me by my former best friend who didn't, really believed me back then of what he had actually done to me. Um, but I didn't have a choice. I had to let them go. But anyway, um, after a month, I finally called where he was staying and the hotel manager happened to be a Hindu man. And when I called, I asked about him and I said, well, his son misses him Is asking about him. And he's like, his children, and he starts, this Hindu hotel manager, he starts going off on me, telling me that I'm a horrible mom, and how how dare I, you know, um, separate from my husband, and the kids need their dad, and blah, 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 and just going off on me, and again, something kind of snapped in my brain, and I said, excuse me, <laughs> and I told this Hindu man what the truth was, because it was pretty obvious that my ex-husband, my now ex-husband had been lying about me as usual, but I didn't realize at the time and had been telling him that I was a horrible mom and that I kicked him out, which I did kick him out. And so this Hindu hotel manager was the second person after the mortgage person. He was the second person I told the truth of my story. And after I shared just the basics with him, of just a few things that he did and how he ha- I had been calling him and or, con- or not calling him but I had been you know asking him when he would call or whatever if he would you know come see his children because they missed him and he was refusing because he was trying to hurt me by hurting the children which is a horribly evil thing to do in my opinion um the whole the hindu hotel manager he goes oh my gosh I'm so sorry you're a good mom. I am so sorry. I had no idea. P- Please forgive me. This Hindu man was so nice to me after that, when I told him the truth of what was actually happening. And then eventually he came back um, to see his children. Um, I think when he realized I wasn't going to let him manipulate me in that way any longer. And One last thing I want to share with you, my ex-husband's threats to disappear with the children and get lost in Mexico so I would never see my children again, they were unfounded. I found out later when we finally got divorced from my lawyer that that would have been impossible because apparently there's a treaty between Mexico and the United States and they would have found my children for me. Um, But still... So there's a lot that goes on. There are a lot of nuances in domestic violence that we don't realize. But this is my escape story and how God delivered me from my ex-husband. And I will tell you, I homeschooled the children for 10 years. I was employed part-time occasionally during those years. And I also had an in-home business where um, I'm getting a a five-minute warning here but I had an in-home business also where I taught other people's homeschooled children Spanish. But as far as working full-time outside the home, I hadn't done so in 10 years. So I was actually unemployed for 15 months after I separated from and divorced my ex-husband. And like I said, a year later, our house went into foreclosure and I had to move with the children and everything. But God worked so many blessings and I share some of the blessings in another podcast. Feel free to look at the blessings podcast later when you get a moment or have a chance. Um, But during those 15 months of being unemployed after I separated from my um, abusive ex-husband, and I I keep repeating the words abusive ex-husband because I want people who are in denial to come out of that denial. Open your eyes and stop denying that he is treating you this way. Because if you're like I was, you're denying it. You don't want to admit it. You don't want to believe it. You want to believe the best about them because you're a kind person and you just assume everyone else is if you're like me. You know, but life teaches you that's not always true, doesn't it? And I just want you to get out of that denial. Um, But those 15 months I treated as, as a job I worked Monday through Friday, 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. with an hour for lunch, Um, building my job skills, taking classes at work one, um, building my resume, creating my resume, applying to jobs, researching jobs. I I treated it like a full-time job. And eventually, I, I I got work, thankfully. God was good. And eventually, and I homeschooled my children for one more year, but it was a little too much. And so I ended up having to put them in public school because he refused to put them in a private Christian school as another manipulation tactic to try to get me back together with him. Um, But that third and final time, my mind was finally made up, thank God. (laughs) it should have been made up long before that. Um, And God blessed me. And God has exponentially increased my income. Within eight years, I wasn't making anything to begin with. But my first job, um, God exponentially increased my income. It was over 53% within eight years, seven years, actually, from my first job. And I was making nothing at first. And then my first job was not a lot of money. So God just kept blessing and blessing and blessing. And that's how I knew he, I was in his will. Because if I hadn't been in obedience to God, God wouldn't have kept blessing me. So that's my escape story and i want to encourage you that if i can escape my abusive ex-husband you can escape your abusive husband or boyfriend or partner whoever it is um just this is my own opinion but i would advise that you stay close to god stay in obedience to god stay in his will and obedience to god does not mean submitting to an abusive husband thank you for listening today please stay safe and again if you're unsafe, please, please, please call the Domestic Violence Hotline at a National Center for Domestic Violence Hotline at 1-800-799-SAFE. That can start your pro- pro- process of escaping your prison of a home. There is hope. God does not want you to be treated like this. God wants to free you and deliver you just like he did the Israelites when they were in Egypt. Thanks for listening. I love you, but more importantly, Jesus loves you more. God bless you. Until next time.